Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. This month, Simon Austin has been speaking with Huddersfield Town Manager, Danny Kelly. Over to Simon. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Danny. Hello, Simon. Good to hear from you. How have the last few weeks been for you during lockdown? Probably like everybody else, very different. The kind of world goes from being at 100 miles per hour to, to somebody hitting the pause button. But it's been a good opportunity to, to obviously spend some time to, to reflect and to review and, and to try to, to move, our, move our learning forward, which has been, been, been really enjoyable. You're obviously very wary of the NHS staff and all the key workers and the fantastic job that they're doing, doing outside. But we're here just trying to stay positive, really seeing the opportunity in the, in the difficult circumstances. And um, I'm pretty lucky because Nikki, who obviously I work with, lives next door to me. So we've been able to have quite a few conversations over the garden fence <laughs> and, um, and, and still be able to, to move things forward. Have you still managed to maintain a togetherness as a squad and as a staff? Yeah, I think so. It's been difficult in terms of the planning because normally, obviously, whenever we plan, you have a you have an outcome that you want to achieve, um, and you you have a final goal, and you've got clarity over where you're going to. Whereas, obviously, at the moment, it's it's very uncertain, which has has not made the planning phase easy. You've got quite a unique perspective, I think, having managed all the way from the Essex Senior League up to the Championship now. Do you worry about the implications of this for football as a whole? Yes, yeah, I do. Obviously, I've had the pleasure of managing in eight of the top nine divisions, which has been a, a fantastic journey and a, and a fantastic learning experience for Nikki and myself. Obviously, we, we still keep in con- close contact with a lot of people in non-league football. Um, and, and certainly for the smaller clubs, we, we really worry about them. First and foremost, their their major revenue is obviously supporters coming through the, through the gates and and paying their money, and then just behind that, it's it's normally local businesses and, and businessmen that that sponsor the club and support the club. Yeah, without a doubt, there's a there's a worry for them. I, I think as a country, we should be mightily proud of the the depth of our our English footballing pyramid. It's for me, the strongest in the world. As a collective, we've got to try to protect and support that in any way that we can. Do you think there's an obligation for the clubs at the top of the pyramid to help those ones right at the bottom? I think there is. I think there always has been. Um, All the way, you know, beyond non-league football, all the way to grassroots football. Um, I think there's there's a real obligation. And I think prior to this, we could have done it better. Hopefully, I think the positives that have come out of this, that it does seem to have brought our nation together more. People seem to be a bit more kind to each other at the moment. Um, I do think that this period has given everyone a chance to, to reflect and to look at how, how we live and, you know, in, in more, more specifically, look at the, the detail and the organisation of the, the business that we're in and the industry that we're in. Um, and, and, yeah, if we can find a, find a way of, of being able to support lower league football and grassroots football, then, then we, must, we, we must do that. You were talking about reflecting. How do you reflect on your first six months or so at Huddersfield? Well, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind. The nature of taking a job mid-season means that it, it becomes very difficult to, to be able to reflect. I think we always like to kind of review and um, consider what we've put in place. I think whenever we come into a club, the, we, we always like to do an audit when we come in. And I think in business, they talk 30, 60, 90 days 
invariably in football you, you don't always get that long so you kind of you can if you think 15 30 45 days i think for us the the first thing we do in that first 15 day period is just to to audit the club speak to everybody from from the tea lady all the way to the chairman speak to to all the players all of the staff and try to get a really good feel of of the club and what is good and the things that are good and we try to continue to run with the things that are good and then we look for for areas where we can get some quick wins, where we can make some improvement, and then and then look to try to to implement that in the I suppose in the thirty to, to or the fifteen to the thirty day period, and that's worked has worked well for us in the past. I think the nature of the jobs that we've had previously at Concord Rangers, at Braintree, and then at Lincoln, we've always taken those those roles during the close season. So we've always had a really good run into to the start of the season and that preparation t- time has been key here at Huddersfield we obviously took the job in in, in mid-September and and it's been that much harder to, to probably review what we've put in place so this period has been has been fantastic in, in being able to do that just reflect on on the change that we've made see if the changes that we've made have had significant gain and if they have then obviously looking to continue to run them and then looking for for other areas where maybe we've made change and haven't implemented it as well and maybe tweak a few things and and also just to look at the the bigger picture and the and the club as a whole I think you know the nature of being a football manager at championship level or league 1 or league 2 or the national league you play 46 league games and you you pretty much Saturday Tuesday Saturday and naturally you become very operational and it doesn't always give you an opportunity to to look at the 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 club from a strategic point of view so it's been a real benefit in being able to do that and um, having a look at what what we see the vision for the football club trying to gain a real clear understanding now I've been in, in the job for a period of time knowing exactly where we're at and then once you kind of know where you're at and you know what the vision is the next bit is just about putting the stepping stones in place. It looked from the outside like the club was a stuck in a rut really at the time they've been relegated from the Premier League were on a bad run of results was that what you found when you actually went in? Well we we took the job because we saw how exciting it was really and for Nicky and I it's always about the challenge we'd had a brilliant challenge at, at Lincoln um, which we'd enjoyed very very much we'd got to a place at Lincoln where we'd got to League One the club rightly for where they were financially and where, where they, they're currently at wanted to try to consolidate their position in that division. Um, for us, we're, we're ambitious. We want, wanted more, wanted a bigger challenge than that. We, we kind of felt that we had real had momentum and we could continue that momentum, be right at the top of that division. But that wasn't to be. And, and the Huddersfield job provided us with, with, I think, a really good challenge, but also many, many learning opportunities for us to, to manage boys of different cultures, because um, obviously the group is a multicultural group. For us to obviously manage in the championship was was a new experience. And also to manage at the bottom of a division were all new experiences for us. And for Nicky and I to get to where we want to in football, we, we still have lots more learning to do. So we saw this as a, as a perfect opportunity. What were the main changes that you've implemented? Well, like I said, when we first come in, it was an opportunity and it was mid-season. So we come in on the Monday, the players were still on international break. We didn't see them until the Tuesday. We were playing Sheffield Wednesday that weekend. Um, But it was a a good opportunity to to speak to the group, speaking to all the players. and, and, And like I said, from everybody from the tea lady to the chairman, you start to see some clear patterns. 
probably naively really we didn't estimate how big a bigger job it was obviously the club had been on a on a really difficult run Huddersfield Town had achieved a football miracle with with David Wagner and, and Dean Hoyle getting promoted to the Premier League then had a fantastic start to what they call Premier League one up until about Christmas where they'd accumulated a fantastic amount of points then probably from Christmas in Premier League one and through Premier League two they won very few games, literally a really small amount of games over a really long period. And that had taken its toll on everybody. I remember one of the players explained to me, imagine this, waking up every Monday morning for the past 18 months, waking up, climbing a mountain to Saturday and getting to Saturday and then sliding back down that mountain and then being expected to get up again on the Monday and, and do it all again. And it had taken a, um, a real psychological toll on not just the players, but the staff in general. So... I think the first part was to try to bring some energy, some enthusiasm, and a little bit of direction, which is what we look to do. We always kind of look at the different provisions around the first team. So you naturally look at firstly the coaching provision. Um, then you look at your sports science and the performance provision around that. You then look at medical, um, your performance analysis, um, then the academy, then obviously recruitment. And these are all different support systems that are around the, the, the first team, but ultimately have a huge effect on, on your success over, over the long term. And for us, it was just to look at every department, look at what was going well, run with what was going well. I think sometimes when you're mid-season, if you're honest, you probably run with things that just are average and you're happy to run with that at this time because you have to naturally prioritise. And we looked at the areas that we felt that we could we could really target for us at, at Huddersfield at that time, it was a huge amount of work to try to 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 try to build relationships with the players. I think the one thing that I've learned over 13 years, I've been lucky enough to 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 manage at a belt at different levels, is that you've got to try to create relationship with the players first and foremost. Um, you've got to try to build a level of respect and then a level of trust. Once you're, you're able to, to build that level of trust and the players start to realise that you have their very best interests at heart, then you can start to coach them and try to improve them as, as players and, and hopefully as people. And, um, but for me, you have to build that level of respect and level of trust first. And, and you can own, you know, human relationships, they only, they only develop over time. We're always very cautious not to coach the players too soon. I think you've got to come in and you've got to really try to, to understand them as players, um, try to get a real feel of the team dynamic. Um, and that's something that we're cautious to do. Do you identify the players that aren't going to be receptive to that and then they would have to go? Is that the process? Well, I think for us, we have we have values that, that we live and die by. They're kind of non-negotiable for us. And the stronger the value set that you have, the broader the base that you have, and the broader the base you have, the stronger you are as a, as a collective. So, yeah, now, you know, for us, we, we love football. So, naturally, our values are around hard work, um, around enthusiasm, um, loving what you do. Um, we think humility is very, very important. When I talk about humility, you know, I, I don't like people that are ahead of themselves. Um, those type of people scare me. I like people that I've got no problem with people being confident if they've got a substance behind that but people worry me if they if they get ahead of themselves because the, the great thing for me about humility is that it's about having success it's about dealing with a success and it's about them wanting to 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 
continue to improve and to, to have further success. So humility is a, is a really important um, value and a, an important characteristic that we look for in people. And then just that, that one around discipline and respect um, is, is, is another important one. And I think once you've, you've got core values, yeah, if people don't live to those core values, they, you, the values, you know, it's one thing putting the values up in a presentation and saying to the group that this is how we want to work. It's another thing living by them every day. And to mm. me, if you want to be a successful group, you've got to have a, a set of values that you all adhere to and that you all believe in. Mm. It's no, they, they can't just be mine and Nikki's values. Um, they've got to be everybody's values and everybody's got to agree and believe and, and believe in them. And then once you've, you've got that place where you've got a collective agreement, then I think from there you have your processes and for us, our processes are always around planning, which has been a key part to our success. We always try to create a learning environment, which again is 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 something that that I think is you know I've been lucky enough to spend probably thirty of my first thirty five years on this planet in education in some form, whether it be as a, as a pupil or, or then as a teacher. And for me, the best thing that I've learned um, in that time is to keep learning and always find new ways to learn. Um, so that's something that's that's, that, that's very important to us. And then the last the, the last process for us is around communication and just having those clear lines of communication. Always trying to speak to people, making sure that you know whether it be a supporter, whether it be a member of staff, whether it be a player, whether it be a board member, that you have open lines of communication, that you um, that you always have clarity, um, which I think is is very important. And for for us. I always try to have the difficult conversations as quickly as possible. I don't like difficult conversations living on my conscience. So, mm-hmm. for example, if I'm as soon as I, I know the team for Saturday, if I know that I'm going to leave a player out, I will try to have that conversation with them as quickly as I can because I think, although sometimes players don't enjoy those conversations, I think that they do respect the honesty and they everybody wants everybody wants clarity. Is it quite difficult having that balance between? open communication and humility but also authority so you're the one who's in charge ultimately and in control i think as a, as a manager you can never cease control you're you're responsible for leading the group but for us a big part of how we work now is to try to empower the players and i think if you're if you're a confident leader you're you're happy to share the control and we spend a lot of our time trying to trying to empower our our group you can't have enough leaders on the, on the pitch. We ultimately know that we set them up with a game model, which is a framework of how we want to play. When they step over the paint, the players, they have to make hundreds and hundreds and thousands of decisions per game. So the more the better problem solvers that you have within the group, the more able you are to come up with the right answer when the when the pressure is on. So so no, we we spend a lot of time trying to trying to empower the group we have a we have a leadership group within 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 the squad that we've got a lot of trust in i think the senior players that in all the successful teams that i've been lucky enough to be part of the senior players have always um been been really good professionals been able to to really understand the the core values that that are so important for your group understand the processes and then i think once you've got that understanding then you can create that natural alignment and then the players do naturally then start self-policing themselves and that is that is when you know for me it can be you know you, 
you can then move to the next level and it can you can create something that can be really powerful do you collectively create kind of a set of values and a philosophy it has to be collective you know you, you have to say what do we stand for what, what what do we as a group stand for how do what how do we want to be perceived and i think once you you know that and you understand that then from there you can put rules and boundaries in place now we're all human beings we want to know we want rules and boundaries we think we don't but ultimately we do we want to know what we can do and what we can't do once you've got your core values you can put your rules and boundaries in place and then you you've, you've then got a process and a way of working and and for me like i said that is the foundation of everything once you've got that foundation the stronger those values are the more you live to them every day the the stronger the base you've got and the more opportunity you have then to build the the success that you would you would like i guess if someone does then step outside of those boundaries then you can say well you helped to create these you know you agreed to this and wanted this and that's a lot more powerful than it being imposed by you exactly that exactly that it's i genuinely believe it's the players game and you've got to try to empower the players now in some other sports i listen to to guys like eddie jones and you know they're they're they'll be talking about empowering players um, and, you know, you look at rugby as a, as a sport, they, they do it fantastically well and seem to be quite further down the line than we are as football. We can either continue to do what everybody's done or we can look at what we do and look to try to find ways of improving. And I think for us, we like maybe old school values, but with new methods. And that's kind of what we are, what we are, we're, we're trying to create as part of our, our environment. That's certainly what work, works for us. And has your teaching background been very helpful to you in management? Yes, definitely. I think my whole journey has been has been really helpful to me. I wouldn't change it for the world. It, people think that it's been a, been a really quick rise, but <laughs> for me living it, it, it hasn't felt like that. It's been a, been a huge challenge, a journey that I've, I've loved and really enjoyed. And, you know, certainly I look at teaching and I look at coaching and there's a lot of transferable skills Ultimately, now I'm a, I'm a football manager or a football coach, but I try to teach. I try to use all my skills to, to try to teach the players. And I think it comes around trying to get, trying to develop their knowledge and understanding. And that's what you're always, always trying to do. You know, we do a lot of work around learning. We try to make the players good learners. We try to build their level of curiosity. We try to um, allow them to find different ways of learning because obviously you've only got so much on-field coaching that you can do um, because of the physical demands of that so you've got to find some off off the field coaching methods to be able to keep developing and enhancing now their um their their performance i'm lucky enough to still be involved in grassroots football my daughter daughter plays football and i do some coaching for their team and i look at a lot of coaches and especially at grassroots level and you know first and foremost make it fun make it enjoyable try to find a way of getting the children to love what they do because as soon as they start to really enjoy and love what they do they will naturally become curious and once they become curious then start coaching them i just see sometimes that we try to coach them before we've actually got them loving and enjoying what they do so i think you know trying to get the right processes is, is really important but but certainly people learn best when they're having fun so always trying to make everything that we do as enjoyable as possible um, and if you can do that, then the level of learning and the retention of learning becomes that much greater. 
Are the principles the same, do you think, with coaching and teaching, basically? I think there's many similarities. I think historically, coaching has been a bit more didactic and a bit more autocratic, really, I suppose, with, with, with the coach telling the players. I think teaching is a bit more empowering, in my opinion. Um, we try to encourage the players to become independent learners and try to almost be, take the role more as a facilitator rather than a, a dictator and and I personally prefer that style mm. I, I think there's you know again you go back to attention I think the players learn better in that way I think sometimes it could take the process can be longer sometimes you've got to tell the players you know sometimes you you know we we all have um, time restraints and, and sometimes you you have to be you have to be firm you have to tell them but as an holistic approach I think being able to find a way of of empowering them and giving the onus and responsibility on them to come up with the with the answers is is definitely the way because because ultimately come three o'clock on Saturday, they're living it. They're the ones that have got to make the decisions. You can't make every decision for them. So we've got to try to train them to be good leaders. We've got to train them to be good decision makers. And 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 I believe that with the right coaching curriculum, you 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 can you can achieve that. And you were talking earlier about talking over the garden fence to your brother Nicky, um, which I didn't realise you actually lived next door to each other. How key a part is he of your journey? And could you do what you do without him there? Definitely not. No, for us, he's he's obviously you know the relationships an incredibly important one. We obviously have lived in each other's pockets pretty much from day dot. Hmm. We know each other very well. Trust is a is a difficult commodity to find in in football and probably in a, in all sport. So we have um, you know, we we've obviously had that relationship. Um, and and when I talk about trust, it's just that ability to be able to tell each other exactly what they're thinking mm-hmm. at the at that time. Um, and it allows us as a consequence to get to the answer very very quickly. Ultimately, I'm I'm the manager and he's the assistant manager, but. But but really, it's just we're, we're joint managers. Just that I'm probably three years older than he is, and my career finished before his did. And he obviously actually played for me for about eight seasons as a uh, at Concord Rangers. Mm. Um, but 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 since then, no, it, you know, it's been you know we've been um, we're, we're we're joint managers, and yeah, we've got a, a way of working that 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 works for us. You kind of pretty telepathic in in knowing exactly what the other one's thinking and if the other one if one's leading then um so for example if Nicky's leading on the coaching field then I'll be supporting him I might be observing from afar but I kind of know where uh, we always know where where each other's going and what each each other needs at, at that point and and that that obviously helps us but you know we're lucky enough at Huddersfield to have inherited a lot of good staff and it's certainly not Football management is never a one-man job or a two-man job. It's it's about a, a collective group of people working together to to ultimately try to provide the very best environment possible for the players to be successful. Is it very important, particularly at a new club, to have that trusted lieutenant with you? Because it would be a lot harder if you're isolated, I'd imagine. I would imagine it would be. Obviously, I've never lived that, so I've always had Nicky's support and it's always it's always nice to have because you kind of you, you live it together and you live all the the the, the success, but also the difficult moments and being able to have somebody else that that you know is 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 feeling the pain like like you do after a defeat can can obviously be very supportive and it, and it, and it's it, it's definitely helped us. There's no doubt about it. You know, 
we live and breathe football. It's always the first thing we think about when we wake up and the last thing we think about before we go to bed. I know it's interesting when you read about a lot of successful people, I'm thinking like Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, or even into football with uh, Brian Clough. There's often a number two there who really compliments them because it's very rare you'll find one person who is the whole package on their own. So is that the case with you two? Do you really bring different skills? I think so, yeah. I think probably because of the experiences and the journey that we've been on, we've got quite a broad base of skills. We're probably jack of all trades, master of none. And we can come in and out of roles, which is quite nice because that can keep things fresh as well. Both of us can can coach. Both of us are able to, to manage manage players on an individual and collective basis. So that, that definitely works for us. You look at Brian Clough and you look at the success that he had in his managerial career, all of his greatest moments were with Peter Taylor by his side, weren't they? And yeah. They they had a had an unbelievable camaraderie and a chemistry. And um, I know for a fact that I wouldn't have achieved what what I have done in my life without without Nicky's Nicky's support. Um, that is for sure. I wonder if we don't underestimate that a little bit sometimes. Maybe recognising the areas where you need a bit of help, and then getting in someone very very good who compliments you in those areas. Well, I think the best leaders um, have the confidence to get really good people around them because they have a security in their own self and their own being that they're able to then get really, really good people around them. I suppose people that are a little bit less secure um, or less confident in their abilities might see getting good people around them and might, might see that as a as a threat. But for us, obviously, we want to try to create the perfect environment. That's what I'm striving for. You try to create the perfect environment and the hope that the perfect performance comes off the back of that. And um, I know for sure it's, n- it's not a one or two man job. It's, it's about a, a number of people and it's about making sure you get alignment with those people. And again, I come back to it, it's, you get a level of understanding then you can create an alignment. And once you create that alignment, then I think the understanding in alignment, you then get commitment as a consequence of that understanding and everybody knowing what you're trying to achieve, having a belief in the processes that you're putting in place to place to get to that to that vision. Yeah, that's what that's what that's what we're striving for. When I was doing my research for this interview. I do do a little bit, believe it or not, but I came across an interview from uh, 2016, so about four years ago, um, when you were at Braintree and you were still working full-time as a teacher and you were having to get up at 4am the next morning to take the kids to a gymnastics competition, you said. Um, So I was just wondering, is the job very different now that you do than it was back then, just four years ago? Well, yeah, I spent sort of first nine years of my management career managing part-time, eight years at Concord Rangers, one year at Braintree. Um, and, and I was um, a PE teacher and head of department at a really successful um, school, Fitzroy Mart School in Essex. And we had a huge extracurricular tradition. We'd compete county, national and at world level in a, in a variety of different sports. Actually, some of my biggest successes would have been at school with those pupils and just a comprehensive school. I had some fantastic times, but it was a real challenge in the early part of my career to to teach and have all of that, that the, the, the commitment that comes with teaching. Obviously, children only get one education and you, you've, as a teacher, you're very, very aware of that. But also try to juggle that with managing part-time. So that was a challenge for sure. I think 
when I was managing part-time, there was always a frustration that you only had a small amount of um, time with the players. You would only have a Tuesday and a Thursday evening to prepare the team for the, for the games on Saturday. Invariably, you would have games midweek. Um, so, so we always felt that one, if we could get to, to a full-time level, which, which eventually we did at Lincoln, that we would then, we would then, you know, we had lots of plans and ideas of how we would be able to, to, to utilize the additional time that, that, that you then have. And yeah, naturally, naturally things evolve. I think as you go through the levels, things evolve. Um, the level of player that you're working with is different. The level of resource that you have is different, both in terms of facilities, but also in terms of human resources. You know, the, the human resource we now have at, at Huddersfield is much greater than the human resource that we would have had going back to our time at Braintree. So I think as a consequence of that, the provision improves all of the time and you keep trying to improve the provision and the, the quality of the environment that you that you create for the players. But I'd like to think that values and the cultures that going back to Concord Rangers, you know, there's, there would still be similarities with those values and cultures that we had there to what we have now. And, you know, like I've said, they they're definitely the the the, the fundamentals of, of the success that we've had. And it was interesting, even when you're at Lincoln in the National League, you were still big users of technology. Like I was reading about your use of Huddle, who were the sponsors of this podcast. Yes, so we would have used we'd have used Huddle back back at Braintree. So oh, right. been, um yeah, so going back to Braintree we would have had so we were a part time team in the National League, they were it's pretty much there was about twenty teams at that time that were full time. So we would have um we only had limited time with the players. We had pretty poor training conditions and training facilities. There would have been it that would have been a period we would have literally finished work, we'd have got to Braintree, we'd have had to train the under eighteens for for a period and that would give us some extra facilities on the on the 3G. So we would literally be able to we 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 did a we had an agreement with um, the youth teams at Braintree that if we did a bit of coaching and train trained their players for an hour, then they would free up a bit of space because our our training ground through the winter months was was underwater. So we had to yeah we had to try to work around around these things, and we would we would literally have like a fifteen minute window with the players where where we would try to get footage of the team that we were about to play. And try to do some oppositional analysis work. We'd also clip our games, so we would clip the, the our performance, and we would we would we'd break our performance down. And at that stage, branch, we had some really good volunteers that would help us with the IT. Um, and we created a a way of using video analysis to to give us some off off field coaching. And even you know on the way to games, because you have such limited times with the players. I can remember going on a we'd, we'd travel on the day to games, and wherever we would travel on the coach, we would use the coach time for video analysis purposes. And we would give the players iPads, and we'd be using our our, our phones to to try to to watch opposition or certain individuals or watch our own performance and and just try to utilise the time that, that we had available to try to help the players develop or prepare the team for the for the next game. Because the tech can be a very good way of empowering the players again, can't it? And involving them in the analysis process, tactics and so on. You know, again, things have, have continually evolved and you try to stay with the times. But, you know, we would have played Brentford earlier in the season 
at Brentford and I think Brentford at that time had, had had a brilliant home record a fantastic team we wanted to go and put a full press on Brentford um, but we knew that it would create a real physical challenge for the players we knew we couldn't force that physical challenge on them so we spent the whole week really involving them in trying to set up the game plan within our game model obviously but tried to set up the game plan and the players really developed that game plan themselves and they made a lot of the decisions about how we were going to play and how we were going to press and the different um, traps that we were going to set. And yeah, they used a lot of the video and that, that, you know, we used a lot of the time in the video room to try to come up with that, with that game plan. But it was, it was driven by them and we actually went on and we, we won the game one nil and it probably unfolded the way we all, we all visualised it. And, and I think that was probably the first time that we'd, we'd, we'd empowered the players at that stage at Huddersfield. And it definitely gave them confidence and gave us all confidence to, to obviously continue to use that. But there's some, there's some brilliant ideas out there in terms of you have about 15 minutes probably with a group in terms of levels of concentration. There's lots of things that you can do. You can break them into smaller groups, which we, we like to do. We do a lot of departmental and a lot of individual work. Um, which we think can be really powerful. You know, some players don't like speaking in front of the whole group because they don't have the confidence to be able to do that, but they're much happier speaking either individually or in small groups. They have a wealth of knowledge, the players. I mean, some of our players have been coached and managed by by some, some fantastic managers. And as a consequence, they've had some fantastic learning. You know, I always think learning is a two-way thing. Um, and it's about getting everybody involved in that and trying to bring that out from, from everybody because the fortunate position that Nicky and I are in now managing at championship level, we learn off the players every day for sure. Do you use data science? Because I know the club did have Mladen Sormaz, who's now uh, head of football analytics at Leicester and a real leader right. in that field. Um, yeah, yeah, have you carried yeah. on with that? Yeah, so we, going back to Lincoln, when we when we arrived at Lincoln, Lincoln had been in the National League for five seasons. Um, it hadn't finished above 13th in the, in the National League. When they'd got relegated from the Football League, a lot of the staff, unfortunately at the time, were, were made redundant because for financial reasons. When we arrived at Lincoln, it was like an empty house, really. We had limited funds and uh, limited finance to be able to bring our own staff in. But we did have the University of Lincoln, which was a fantastic organisation for us to create a link. And obviously with Nikki and I and, our, and, and my teaching skills, we actually went in and we, we led a few lectures and got to know the staff at, at Lincoln University. And as a, as a consequence of that, we created some really good relationships and were able to get some of their very best students and set them up with some internships. And that's really how we built our at Lincoln, our performance department, our medical and sports science department, our analysis department and our recruitment department. Two of the guys, Matt Page and Toby Ellis, they, they would have come and they, they, they interviewed for, for two of the sports science internships. And, um, they weren't quite what we wanted in terms of sports scientists at that time. But having met them both, Nikki and I were both so impressed with them as, as people. And how we work is once we see something in someone and we know that they've got some skill, a skill set and a, and, and a personality that will work for us, we kind of put them on the bus and then we work out their seat later. Because I just, I genuinely believe, again, 
successful organizations it's never about the bricks and mortar it's always about the people get good people so we've we've got these two on the bus matt matt and toby they both had these entrepreneurial skills that were that were really impressive it can't really come through on their interview and we just got talking about how we could use the skills and the experiences they had and from that we've been able to create a statistics program that, that we live and die by really we're four years into it now and it's evolved every year but it's a fantastic way of us being able to firstly understand our performance so it will take the boys each 12 hours to analyze one of our games they break the game down for us they look at the game through all of the different cycles of the game um it gives us really clear detailed analysis on each individual but each department right side to left side, whatever we whatever, whatever we want to look at. From that, one, you, you then start to get a really good understanding of your own performance. And we now use that for recruitment purposes because it gives us real clarity over, over where our performance is. The first part of recruiting is knowing where you're at. And once you know where you're at and where your areas of, of improvement are, then you can then start to add and try to then create the right compliments because it's never about having the best players it's just about having the best best partnerships and the best relationships and, and ultimately the best compliment and that you know that's how how we've been able to use the the, the data and it's been um it's been uh, been fantastic for us the the boys matt page and toby have, have come with us from from lincoln now to huddersfield and they're working with us and we've kind of been been living during, during this period on, on Microsoft Teams and conference calls, speaking to them and, and, and trying to find ways of, of continually try to, 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 to improve this, this aspect of what we do. Didn't they actually work on the championship manager game, those two? I was reading a bit about them. That's right. Yeah, they, they did. Yeah, they worked in the data department in championship manager. At the time, they were at university and they were working for championship manager in the data department. And that's how we kind of... St- how it all started to evolve, really, and how we come up with the idea. And I think eventually we want to get to a place where we we, we get a bit of AI involved and artificial intelligence. And for me, I want to try to make winning a science. Winning affects my whole life. When I win, I win on a Saturday, I'm happy to a Tuesday. If I win on a Tuesday, then I'm happy to a Saturday. So if we can work a way of, 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 of finding a way of knowing exactly what we've got to, to do to win in every game, then um, and then just being able to then implement that then we can make it a science and hopefully I can win more often and I can make my life much better and I know the club has been big believers in the sporting director role um, with Stuart Webber a few years ago was a big big success and has now made a big name for himself and the role the titles have changed and the people have changed since then what do you think of that role and do you like working with a sporting director or director of football operations, uh, whatever you want to call it. The fast-paced nature of football is important. I don't personally see it as a football operations role because I think that's more probably the the manager. But titles are titles. I'm not too caught up in it. The, the, for me, the, the sporting director role is is one where you know they they work very closely with the manager, um, support the manager operationally, but really drive the strategic vision of the club and of course the manager needs to play a part in that have a role in the decision making process but then it's about the sporting director driving that vision continuing to to, to develop staff at every level um, and manage staff at every level because again as a, as a manager you have 20 25 professionals then you have 
younger academy players, they're at the forefront of your mind in terms of the man management and in terms of developing them as, as players and as people. It can become too much to then develop a, a man manager staff as well, or, or you can end up not spreading yourself too too thinly and not doing that to, to the level that you need to. So to have support in that area um, is, is, is very important. A last one, um, I promise. What are your ambitions for Huddersfield going forward when we actually do get back? Well, I think the the uncertainty that, that we're, we're all currently living creates a natural anxiety. You obviously, as a consequence, you, we've used a lot of this time to try to predict what might happen in the future. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to know exactly what football is going to look like. I think football and society is gonna is gonna be different off 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 of the back of this pandemic. For us, it's about trying to to create to continue to try to create the provision around the around the first team and the support mechanisms around the first team, so that we can we can allow the players to consistently play at their best. And if we can do that, then we can be competitive in this division. For us, first and foremost, it is about trying to be competitive again in the Championship. Obviously, we've had the club has had two years of Premier League experience. Everybody would have seen uh, the financial implications that have that have come as a consequence of that, and actually how challenging that can be for for a club the size of Huddersfield. We are we are now trying to find a place as a football club where we can have sustainability financially and while having that financial sustainability trying to be as competitive as we possibly can and trying to get as much value out of the the group as we possibly can if we can do that and we can find a continuity and find a consistency and be competitive firstly again in the in the championship then we earn the right to start to dream bigger and then you earn the right to hopefully create another football miracle like 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 the club did a, did a couple of years back. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time, Danny. My pleasure. Thank you, Simon. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with another episode. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on the website at trainingground.guru or on Twitter at ground underscore guru.